This is the Red-Headed Preacher thanking you for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast for Sunday, October 24th, 2021. Annie Nortz is our lector, and she'll be reading passages from Job 42, Mark 10, and the Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 7. I'll be borrowing from all of those with, to a ser- into a sermon called, What Do You Want?, and because uh, that's what Jesus asked, blind Bartimaeus. Before we go further, as I so often do when I remember, <clears throat> please join me in the spirit of prayer. Marvelous God, we give you thanks for the technology and the opportunity to listen to this message, and I give thanks for the opportunity to have preached it and for your help in me preparing it. May your spirit move as we listen and think about what we hear, for we are here for you, and it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now, our lector. Our first reading is from the last chapter of the book of Job, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, and then 10 through 17. Verse 1 begins, after the Lord's response is concluded. In the verses not read, 7 through 9, the Lord tells Job's three friends to make burnt offerings and ask Job to pray with them. This happens, and verse 10 picks up after that. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I utter what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare me. I heard, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. This ends the reading from Job. Our epistle lesson is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. The writer's theology is shaped by the framework of sacrifices, offerings, and priests continues to compare earthly Jewish priests with Jesus. The high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who who is also the 
the Son of God. Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This ends reading from Hebrews. What do you want? A week from tonight, we'll know what neighborhood kids want when they come to our door and say, if they do say, trick or treat. Now, some kids who come to my door, they don't say anything when I open the door. So I say, what are the magic words? Then they'll say trick or treat. Going into this afternoon, Bears fans want a victory over the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's what they want. And your church council would love an easy answer to how we'll afford the renovation of the flat roof over the Sunday school classrooms and below that the gym. Well, what do you want? Hopefully something from the Village Inn today, since so our fundraiser day. Despite the rain, when I worked at a restaurant, one of my coworkers said, a change of weather brings people, <laughs> meaning to the restaurant. Lots of people, though, are desperate for healing, or justice, or large-scale action on saving the planet. Now, let's look at the sermon title for a second. What do you want? What I really wanted to have as the title is, What do you want? Jesus to do for you because you heard Annie read the gospel lesson and Jesus asked that question of blind Bartimaeus if you were here recently like in the past six weeks or so you might remember Jesus being confronted with a forthcoming request from the sons of Zebedee he responded by saying what he said to Bartimaeus what do you want me to do for you now in moving forward in the sermon the question posed by it and Jesus is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? That question might sound poorly timed as we just concluded pastoral and silent prayers, as well as the prayer Jesus taught us. I apologize for that. I'll ask you to put a little pin in that question and instead let's turn to Bartimaeus who heard Jesus say that in our gospel lesson. Now, Bartimaeus knew precisely what he wanted, his sight. First of all, that's remarkable that this person receiving a miracle from Jesus is named. Not only is he named by name, which is pretty rare for beggars to be included by name, and his story is like the Gospels, but so was his father Timaeus mentioned. Now, we understand that a father is named for point of reference sometimes. 
is not this Joseph's son? But Mark was not writing to those who were there at the time and needed a reminder as to who this guy who got healed was. He was writing to a believing community, and it's possible that he and his father, Bartimaeus and Timaeus, were named because they were known to that group of believers to whom Mark wrote his gospel. That indicates that they became disciples also. Now, we know Bartimaeus followed Jesus because the story tells us. If that's why he was named, perhaps his father came to believe also. So they were historic figures within the church, which was still you know, just beginning to grow. It's the same sort of thing we find in Jesus' trip to Calvary. Jesus needed help carrying his cross, so the soldiers imposed on Simon of Cyrene to carry it. He also must have been well known in the growing Christian churches because he came to believe too. Otherwise, why would he be named? Simon of Cyrene, yeah, you know him. You've heard of him. He's one of us. Bartimaeus and Simon were names known by then to lots of Christians. They had had, those had had first-hand experience and contact with Jesus. So Bartimaeus, or Bart, knew what he wanted Jesus to do for him. Let's pay attention to what he said and what he did. Being blind while begging on the roadside, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was right now coming down his road. He would pass him by. Bart's reaction was immediate. As William Barclay put it, certain chances happen only once. Bartimaeus instinctively knew that. So, quoting from Mark, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a lot in there. Knowing what he wanted, he acted. He called Jesus son of David, which is from the titles reserved among Judaism for the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ. He was calling to Jesus, acknowledging him as the Messiah, persistently, loudly, annoyingly. Perhaps some of those who told him to be quiet were afraid this would be heard by Roman sympathizers or the elders of the temple who would certainly challenge him on this. Bartimaeus was blind in his eyes, but he had the spiritual perception to understand Jesus was son of David, Moshiach. Now, the kind of Messiah that Bartimaeus probably imagined is not the suffering servant kind Jesus was on earth. But all the same, he attributed great power, present and future, to Jesus in a way that few others had so far. Not only that, but one commentator by name of Ronald Kernigan, he pointed out in his commentary, Bartimaeus perceived not only that Jesus was the son of David, but also that the son of David had come to serve him as Jesus had taught the disciples in Mark earlier. You remember that not long before, and maybe you were here for this reading, it was the same time as the scripture about, we want to be the, on the right and your left hand. He had told the disciples with a child amongst them, whoever wanted to be great 
Among them must be the slave of all, and the first become the last. And in the passage just before this one, yesterday, last Sunday's passage, Sunday is always yesterday and tomorrow to me, he said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and be a ransom for many. Those are laying down the self words. Somewhere, somehow, Bartimaeus knew Jesus, son of David, was also here to bring healing, perhaps give him back his sight. He called out to him boldly, passionately. As Barclay also commented in his book on Mark, a desperate desire is what gets things done. And Bart did not only call out, son of David, but with humility mixed with another perceived need, each time he also cried out, have mercy on me. He knew he needed mercy and recovery of sight, which is fulfillment of prophecy about the Messiah. When we think of what you or I might ask Jesus to do for us, we can contrast James and John who told the Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, which was then to set them up to sit on Jesus' right hand and on his left when his kingdom was achieved. Blind Bartimaeus, on the other hand, started out asking for mercy and then his eyesight to be restored. This can be important for us. Barclay wrote that Bart knew what he wanted and added, too often our admiration for Jesus is a vague attraction. When we go to Jesus, we should have engaged in some self-examination to know what we need from him. Are we as desperately definite as Bartimaeus? So few people, he wrote, wish to do self-examination. Ronald Kurrigan, though, had another take on this specificity. He said, it is easy to think of things we would like someone in, with power to do for us many of which might ultimately prove to be destructive. Bartimaeus' plea for mercy shows the way, end quote. Well, we know the rest of the story. Jesus stopped still and asked for people to bring the man to him. And then Jesus asked the lovely question, what do you want me to do for you? Respectfully, Bart asked that he might see again telling us that he was not a man born blind. After Jesus tells him, go, your faith has made you well, Bartimaeus did not go away, but joined the band of followers. On the way were, I think, the last words of the gospel reading. On the way. Bartimaeus did not. He went with the disciples on the way. On the way, by the way, to Jerusalem. And Jesus would later go into dark Gethsemane. To refer again to the old Scots preacher Barclay, Bartimaeus began with need, went on to gratitude, and finished with loyalty. And that is a perfect summary of discipleship. Another writer, noting that this is the final healing in Mark's gospel, opines that the story is, quote, climactic, in the sense that its outcome marks the goal of this gospel in the life of its listeners. He followed Jesus on the way. Someone said this is both a miracle story and a call story. 
Take heart, he is calling you. What do we want Jesus to do for us, or for you or me individually? Have we soul-searched any about that? It may be that mercy or physical healing is our particular burning desire. Have we boldly called upon Christ, not worrying about discouraging words from others or that are speaking in our own head? Can it be a summary of our discipleship story, like Barclay suggests? Well, in my remaining time left, I want to lift up some things Jesus did or does for us, even today. They, too, may be meeting some of our primary needs or wants, energizing our discipleship when we become aware of them. First, what we've already heard, Jesus heals and healed this is more, that's more than a whole sermon right there. What does healing mean? And I've preached several sermons on healing, especially when we have a healing service. Second, in our readings, Jesus intercedes for us as the final high priest and as the Son of God in prayer. It used to be taught in Christian circles that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And some of you might think, wait, priest? Hebrews talks about it. In the letter, the letter, as, and Annie said this, it focuses on the old system of sacrifice as the way to forgiveness of sins and how Jesus supersedes that. What it amounts to for you and me is forgiveness. The restoration of a right relationship with God. It is one theory of atonement among others in the New Testament. Priests, what did they do? What do they do? What did they do? They were go-betweens between the general population of Judaism or Israel and the Lord God. They stood between God and the people, praying on their behalf, not that they couldn't pray for themselves, but the priests also prayed for them. They held them up in their prayers to God. Also, they were the ones who made the sacrifices people brought unto the Lord expressing to God the people's great thankfulness or some other purpose, because there are a whole bunch of different kinds of offerings. They were done by the priests. Again, they were the mediators or go-betweens. Hebrews talks about Jesus being the last high priest, standing between God and the world, in this case, making a sacrifice on their behalf, offering himself. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. It is a paradox that in this theology, Jesus is both priest and sacrifice. That is not too much different than holding the beliefs that Jesus is the good shepherd and as John the Baptist called him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Forgiveness, once for all. But Jesus also intercedes for us in prayer. Remember that Job was to pray for his three ultra-orthodox, ultra wrong-about-God friends who make their own sacrifices for their forgiveness. My servant Job shall pray for you, the Lord intoned between the two sections of Job Annie read. 
And Job's prayer for his friends is what is called intercessory prayer. You intercede intercessory prayer. It is going to God, praying to God on behalf of someone else. Prayers for the healing of someone. Those are intercessory prayers. Jesus does this for us. It's not a past tense in the New Testament. And how do we know? It is in Hebrews, but it's also in Romans. This morning we heard about Christ that he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In the new RSV version of Romans 8, Paul answers his rhetorical question, It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us at the right hand of God, the Creator. That's a current event. We've already heard that he offered himself. What do you want Christ Jesus to also do for you, for St. Peter's, for our young people in our churches, our homes, and in our streets? When I was a young Christian, I wanted to find some contemporary music about the faith, something other than the Gaither Trio or something like that. It helped that Dan Peek left the band America, which he helped found, in 1977 or 78 and made some Christian albums. Dion of Dion and the Belmonts uh, also made one. Then Bob Dylan had an experience of Christ at some point and made some remarkable recordings. One of them is called, What Can I Do For You? And some of the words are, I will not sing them, certainly not try to imitate his voice. You have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see. What can I do for you? You have laid down your life for me. What can I do for you? You have given all there is to give. What can I do for you? You have given me life to live. How can I live for you? He goes on at one point singing, I know all about poison. I know all about fiery darts. I don't care how rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, tell it to my heart. Well, I don't deserve it, but I sure did make it through. What can I do for you? What specific wants or needs would you ask or would I ask Jesus for? What have we asked Jesus for? Dylan's lyrics and the end of the gospel passage when Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way point us not so much to that what would we ask, what have we asked, as much as a reflection on what Jesus has done, is doing, and how we respond with how we live on the way. Amen. This concludes our edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. Thank you for listening. Next Sunday is going to be October 31st, which is, in the Protestant tradition, Reformation Sunday. 
and we will most doubt, most, I, I will surely be touching on some of the themes of that somehow. I have not looked at the scriptures, but don't worry. We celebrate the Reformation, the reclaiming of some of the basic tenets from the New Testament of the good news. Until then, I remain your faithful red-headed preacher at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, and may God bless your week. Amen. Bye.